if you're ready to really learn and grow, then find somebody that has a different viewpoint or a different way of relating and preferably someone with enough life experience and wisdom and maturity to be honest with you, or you may just find manipulation meeting manipulation, which leads to more manipulation or illusion feeding illusion. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Cheng. Today, in the final episode of 2019, Paul talks about ways to bring the year to a close, how to welcome 2020 with gratitude, and shares tips for creating a year of new opportunities. Hello and welcome to Living 4D with Paul Cech. I'm excited. It's 2020 here. It's a big year. Quite a number. Interesting balance there. I thought I would share with you regarding how to make 2020 your best year ever with the reminder that healthy closure facilitates healthy beginnings. I'm about to share methods of beginning your new year that I've been using for a very long time. And personally, I have found reason to continue to do it for all the reasons that I will share with you in this podcast. And I hope you enjoy uh, picking up some tips on how to organize your energy and use your mind and your heart to its full potential in alignment with your soul. So let's dive in and see what we can all do together to make the world a more beautiful place for all living beings in 2020 and fulfill our dreams, both individually and collectively. What I'll share with you today are the following key learning objectives, how to effectively review your year in preparation for the new year, why gratitude is so essential to our healing and growth, tips for planning your 2020 experiences, and how to embody the new you on a daily basis so you can be the change. So let's jump into it. Now, for how to effectively review your year, I'm going to break it down into the three phases I teach all holistic health practitioners and essentially all Czech professionals. We'll start with I, your experience of yourself, and we'll go to we, your experience and relationships, and we will finish with all, your experience of the world and what you've shared personally, professionally, and spiritually with the world of yourself, which is part of the world. And uh, that gives you a context for how I believe our energies should flow for our own health and well-being in that of the relationships we share and as a means of making sure that we are sharing our best with everybody. Now, to begin our discussion of I, your experience of yourself, it's important to realize that Everything you perceive, your thoughts, your feelings, emotions, your sensations, pretty much everything comes by way of your mind. If you had no mind, you could not contextualize anything. You couldn't make meaning of it. You wouldn't know how to distinguish north from south, east from west, 
up from down, etc. You wouldn't know one color from the next. You would pretty much have no sense of self or self-awareness. So to begin, I think because I will be using the word mind, it's very important to understand exactly what I am saying because there are many definitions for mind, like there are for God and many ways of perceiving a lot of words that (laughs) turn out to get us in trouble when we're not really sure, but we assume what someone else means when they use them. I'm going to share Dr. Daniel Siegel's um, definition of mind. Most of you would know him. He's a famous psychiatrist and a deeply loving soul, a wise soul who we could all benefit from studying more. Dr. Siegel defines mind as an embodied and relational process that regulates the flow of energy and information. There's a couple of key words there. Mind is embodied. You, you're here listening to me, and I'm assuming that you're listening from within your body. So minds work with bodies, whatever that body may be. I won't go into elaborations on that because it would be a segue. It's also a relational process, meaning that you're always in relation to something. Your life, your body, your finances, your friends, your family, your goals, your objectives. So mind's always in relation to something else because mind actually is really a cutting system. The ancient alchemists called it the logos cutter. Logos meaning the source of word or the source of the energy and information that creates all that is, which is inherently whole in and of itself. Therefore, in order for us to make meaning of anything, we must cut it out. So we use words that describe things so that others know exactly what we're talking about. So it's an embodied and relational process, and it shows us what we're talking about in relationship to something else, or we can't make meaning of it. And mind regulates the flow of energy and information, which is what all is created of. Without energy and information, there would be no thing. Since our whole lives are really the product of the flow of energy and information, how we use our mind regulates the flow of energy and information and ultimately determines what we perceive, what we experience, and what we achieve for better or worse. So when I speak of mind, I am speaking of an embodied and relational process that regulates the flow of energy and information. That's what you will be using to plan your new year. And so hopefully the tips I will share you will be minded and reminded so that you can live and love fully this year. I will be right there with you, by the way. This is not me telling you what you should do. This is me inviting you to do with me what I have found to be fruitful in my life. Now, When we're dealing with our experience of ourselves, the most important aspect of our soul is that of self-reflection. One of my favorite philosophers is Plotinus, who 
basically says the soul has three qualities, to abide or to witness, to be, to reflect, to look into ourselves, to reflect on our day, our month, our week, our year, whatever it might be, and then to make conscious choices, which means look honestly at where we may have done things unconsciously or disrespectfully or um, unthoughtfully and say, how can I live and love more fully by being more whole, more honest, more well-prepared, more present, things like that. Because without that review, we're likely to just keep repeating the same behaviors that get us in trouble and blame it on other people, which I will talk about. So it's important to remember that self-reflection is a humbling process. It's essential to find out why you think, say, and do certain things. Then better yourself. I'll say that again. Self-reflection is a humbling process. It lets you see where maybe you've inflated yourself. Research shows that most people tend to overestimate their abilities at almost anything by about 70%. So honest self-reflection is a humbling process. It can also be a rewarding process. I've certainly gone into self-reflection and shared um, love and appreciation for myself because I did things well when I knew that there may be challenges at hand, or I did things well enough that I surprised even myself and took a moment to pat myself on the back. When we find in self-reflection that we've done things that are challenging and make us maybe feel sad or wish we hadn't done those things, it's good to take time to give ourselves empathy and compassion because we're ultimately responsible for parenting ourselves once we're an adult. And if we don't give ourselves empathy and compassion, we can spend a lot of time waiting for somebody to read our minds and do it for us, but we still haven't learned to take responsibility for ourselves. It is essential to find out why we think, say, and do certain things. Why we think, say, and do certain things that don't enhance our relationship to ourselves and others. And then do what we can honestly do to better ourselves. And one of the best things that I know of for that process is journaling. I journal every day, pretty much. And I write down things that I know I could work on, things that I choose to focus on, and things that I know I could do better. And I also write down my dreams, goals, and objectives, and insights, and anything that I think will help me. I'm a practitioner of tarot, so when I do my tarot draw each day, before I start my day, I go into meditation, I give gratitude, I do a lot of things to anchor me in, in the reality of my participation in the world with all of you. I say, I say thank you to all the beings that support me. And in that process, I speak to aspects of my psyche, sometimes called spirit guides, power animals, and beings that I've made contact with, often in other dimensions that are, to me, just as real as the ones here. And when they give me wise counsel as to how I could do better, I write it down. 
And then when I do my tarot reading, I look carefully at what it suggests so I can live in love fully that day. I connect to each of the archetypes where I feel guidance is necessary. And I also speak to my own soul for clarification so that I'm not potentially confused because working in the imaginal realms takes a lot of focus and sometimes we can think we're getting a key message but maybe misinterpret it. So I always trust my soul to guide me for clarification. So journaling and self-reflection are essential if you want to optimize your new year. This year, did you find yourself focusing more on what you don't want or what you choose to create and be each day? That's a very important thing. The negative bias that's built into the human nervous system, unfortunately, though it's designed to protect us and keep us aware of snakes and tigers and biters, it can also take us over and leave us focusing on looking for what we don't want. So. It's very important to become conscious that whenever you have a thought about things you don't want, to practice flipping them over and say, well, if that's true, then its opposite must be true. So I don't want to be low on money this year flips over to I'm willing to create abundance and I'm going to make a plan to do it and act dream affirmatively each day. And that helps you think more holistically so you can look at both sides of a coin. Otherwise, you can get caught caught in an unconscious dogma, which is never healthy. The ego is a complex of ideas that are largely from others. When you look at what your ego is, it's really an intellectual construct, sort of an artificial intelligence And as I tell my students, if you could download every idea in your head into some kind of a supercomputer and sift through to identify which ideas are actually of your own making, most people agree that they'd be lucky if any more than 5% were their own creations. And about 95 to 97% of those things in their head that they act on as though they were some kind of invisible god are really the programming of others. So if the voices in your head are not dream affirmative, it's good to spend time getting to know who it is that's listening within yourself. That's who's in charge of creating your dreams. Now, we all have unconscious behaviors. And in my system that I teach Czech professionals, and you can learn more about this in my uh, four quadrant check four quadrant coaching mastery program, uh, which the first section's online that actually goes through this. We look at Carolyn Mice's survival archetypes, which are the victim, the saboteur, the prostitute, and the child. So, in your review of yourself, it's good to honestly look at where have you been victimizing yourself? Where have you been? subverting your own power, giving it away while making excuses such as, if my mom or my dad had only done this, my life would be better. If my boss would only give me more, my life would be better, dot, dot, dot. Anytime you're using words that suggest that your challenges in life are are uh, are caused by somebody else, 
and that you have no power, you're, you're becoming a victim. All of Carolyn Mice's survival archetypes are experiences that we all have to go through so we can experience what it feels like to be victimized, to be sabotaged, to prostitute ourselves, and to be a child. And then to be aware what we will not do to other people. Now, the child archetype with regard to survival archetypes really relates to acting out various derivations of the child, such as the orphan child, someone who always thinks that nobody loves them and they'll never have support, or the eternal child, somebody who's expecting others to care for them and and provide for them when really they should be an adult and be doing those things for themselves. So we look to see where we have victim behavior. We look honestly within ourselves to see where we've sabotaged ourselves, where we could have been better at managing ourselves, where we could have lived our four doctors or our six foundation principles better and had more energy, vitality, and mental clarity to do the things we really intended to do and then get clear on what we're going to do in 2020 so we don't sabotage ourselves. The prostitute archetype is all about where you're working for money, but you're not creating joy, happiness, or a deeper sense of connection to life, but you're telling yourself a story about what you have to do to get the money or what you have to do to be successful. And it's important to remember that working for money will produce money, but it will not produce love. And having coached countless thousands of people that have gotten into this trap, I can tell you that working for money when it's not working for love, does not bring connection, satisfaction, or happiness, no matter how much money you have. With regard to the child archetype, as it relates to survival archetypes, it's always good to see where we're developing or have developed codependent relationships with other people, and that we're depending upon them to bail us out, or pay our bills, or where we maybe are sucking the hind tit, of uh, government handouts such as welfare and things like that and not really stepping up to the plate and making adult contributions to our lives. And, And particularly if we have a family or we have a business that we run, being the child is really a very negative example because it inspires others to live out a perpetual childlike nature, which can be extremely debilitating, especially in adult relationships, um, especially in a business. So as part of your New Year's uh, self-reflection, looking to see where you've victimized others, and if you feel that others have victimized you, then you then look carefully at how you keep setting yourself up for that to happen. Because what I've experienced from coaching lots of people and working with these archetypes quite extensively is that when we heal the victim archetype, the saboteur, the prostitute, or the child archetype, then we don't have a negative polarity attached to them and we no longer attract these circumstances into our life. We will continue to attract all things within us that are incompletions or things that are carrying illusion and misleading us 
which means we are misleading others, will keep attracting these circumstances until we heal because we can't grow until we do. Hi, everybody. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. If you've been following my work for any length of time at all, you know how important organic food and organic farming is, not only for the health of the soil and to protect all the little beings in nature from toxic chemicals and throwing nature completely out of balance, which directly affects us, but also for our own health and well-being. We all need nutrient-dense foods for body-mind well-being. And I'm so excited about the Organifi line. Organifi is a product line made of certified organic source materials. And I've checked this out personally. I can guarantee you that. One of my favorites that I've recently tried is their red juice, which has acai and cordyceps infused into it. It's a super, super tasty product. And it revitalizes skin cells, supports your metabolism, has antioxidants in it, age-fighting nutrients, helps mental clarity. It's got a lovely natural sweet flavor. And something that I found really interesting, if you go to Organifi.com and look up the red juice, they show you a price per serving comparison against Palm Wonderful, Red Bull, Gatorade, and a Starbucks latte. And Organifi red juice is actually significantly more cost-effective considering not only the price, but the density of the nutrients in it. I think you'll be really amazed with this red juice, along with all their other products. If you go to Organifi.com, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com, and as you're checking out, use the code lowercase c-h-e-k-20 altogether, you will get a 20% discount on your Organifi purchases. I'm super excited to share this company. I've tested their products. My family's tested their products, and we're all behind them. And I know you're going to be satisfied because this is the real deal. This is true nutrition. Check it out. As you check out, C-H-E-K-20 to get your discount. Thanks for joining me. Hope you to continue to enjoy the podcast. And if you love it, share it with as many people as you can. Now, a lot of the things that we do to ourselves and others in relationships is unconscious. So I'd like to share some tips for identifying unconscious programming. First, what actions or behaviors do you find yourself saying things like, I don't know why I did that, but still keep doing them? For example, if you've told yourself you would quit eating things that are feeding fungal or parasite infections, or stopping you from sleeping well, or causing bodily symptoms that are not congruent with your dream, and you hear yourself saying, why did I do that? Or why do I keep doing that? Those are very, very good indicators of where you're acting unconsciously. And it may be the little child in you doing that. It could be you trying to reward yourself for the pain and sadness of prostituting yourself so you come home at night, you don't start living till you break out the alcohol, the pot, the junk food, and mindless television, but keep having the painful realization that you're not achieving your goals. Those are all forms of sabotaging yourself. And if you're not careful, you will find yourself blaming other people for those problems, i.e. the victim role. So there's examples of unconscious behavior. Now I'm going to introduce you to an exercise I use 
in my private coaching with people, and it's often quite a profound experience for them. And we will return back to it when we get to the we section. But if you need to stop the uh, recording here and grab a pen or pencil and some paper to do this exercise, I think you'll find it very fruitful. So now assuming that you're ready to write, what feedback do you get from others in your life as to what you do well? So what are common things that you get from others that indicate you're doing well, such as your wife or your partner saying you're very loving or your wife, partner, or friends saying thank you for being timely and being a person of your word. Thank you for your empathy and compassion. Thank you for being here when we really needed help. Then write down what negative feedback you've gotten during challenging times in your life, such as breakups, losses of friends or jobs. In other words, write down words like, oh, uh, I got fired for being late too often, or being argumentative with staff members, or not being a team player, things like that. Look those over. Then write down four positive words, up to four. Don't write down words just to make them up, but only write down words that are authentic. Write down up to four positive words that describe your experience and relationship with your mother, particularly during your first 14 years of life, but even today is fine. And then write down four negative words that describe your relationship with your mother or as many as you can authentically identify, but not more than four. It's not necessary. Then write down the four positive descriptive words or statements that describe your father. And then the four negative descriptive words that describe your relationship with your father. If you didn't get raised by your birth mother or father, then choose the caregiver that filled that role and had the greatest influence on you. Now, what I will share with you right now is that you can then take those negative words and those positive words and look at the feedback you get from others as to where you've done well or positive feedback and look at the feedback that was negative about why people left you in relationships or losses of jobs or when friends didn't want to be with you um, and correlate those positive and negative words with the words you've written down as positives and negatives for your parents. And what you're likely to find is that the negative words you described to identify your parents actually often turn out to be the very descriptors used by others to describe why they have discontinued contact with you, broken up with you, or let you go from jobs, or may have been negative feedback from teachers, coaches, and mentors. And that allows you to see the unconscious programming that you're acting out 
which usually turns out to be exactly the things about your mother and father that drive you batty. So for many of my patients, it's quite a revelation to realize that they themselves are emulating the parts of their mother and father that drive them nutty. And only by bringing the subjective or the unconscious into the conscious can you actually work with it. Once you see and are clear and aware and conscious of the negative challenges between you and your parents in your upbringing, then whenever those behaviors such as anger or isolating yourself or blaming others or gossiping or uh, being disrespectful of other people's needs and things like that, whenever those thoughts, beliefs, or behaviors rise up in you, you can name it. Say, ah, there's my tendency to be overly moody like my mother. So we'll call it the moody mother. So whenever that kind of thinking arises, you say, ah, there's my moody mother. Then you blame it. Whenever my moody mother is around, I feel emotionally disconnected and isolated. Then tame it. Whenever my moody mother's around, I say, thank you, dear pain teacher, for showing me where I have a mind virus. And you convert it to a positive dream affirmative thought. So the moody mother becomes, thank you, mother, for teaching me to be more aware and more responsible for my emotions and how I use them to create my dreams each day. Then you are actually taking something that's unconscious, bringing it up into the conscious and identifying it and transforming it and using that negative energy to create a positive, which is one of the signs of a true spiritual master, the ability to turn a negative into a positive. Another one of the four signs identified by Sri Aurobindo is the ability to create beyond the laws of physics. If you wait until you're in the cause and effect game of uh, blaming and uh, shoulding and shouldnting and all that, then you're not creating beyond the laws of physics. You're trapped down in the world of Newtonian physics where an eye for an eye becomes sort of the standard reality. But by preconditioning your mind and creating your new relationship with your dream and with all the challenges which are catalysts to your growth, then when they arise, you don't have to repress them. You can be grateful. You say, thank you, dear pain teacher, for showing me where I have a mind virus. And by naming it, you objectify it. By blaming it, you recognize what acting it out and letting it live inside of you is doing to you and, in, and doing in your relationships. And by taming it, you convert it. So you move from the position of the child to being that of an adult. And then you feel good about yourself and you also realize that you're actually acting spiritually and taking something negative and converting it into a positive. Now, another experience of ourselves relates to addictions. Uh, addictions are very, very common. And when I use the word addiction, I'm referring to any behavior that does not produce the results you want. So, for example, if you have the habit of drinking espresso or coffee, but it's drying your skin out, cracking your lips, your heels, 
making your head foggy, making you tired, so you find yourself not being able to go very long without coffee, and all of a sudden coffee becomes the center of your whole existence, uh, which I've experienced myself, believe me, um, then that's an addiction. And so I could give you a long list of them, um, but I think the point should be obvious. An addiction is any repeated behavior that does not produce the results you want. Now, I find that addictions are often attempts at what we perceive to be safe love. So, you know, someone who's addicted to alcohol usually has a traumatic background where there's been pain in their parental uh, relationships or uh, other important relationships, and they haven't figured out how to turn that pain into freedom yet. And if we get enough pain trapped in us, then we naturally seek to medicate it in ways that help us deal with the pain, which unfortunately often means burying the pain. So we get these safe relationships from alcohol and drugs and substances and burying our pain in intensive workouts and too many of them and things like that. So what you can do is look for things that are sustainable and produce the results you want without distracting from your ability to accomplish your goals, keep your responsibilities and relationships. And remember that addictions limit freedom and that being creative can increase freedom, even if that means getting help. So when we take all the energy and the emotion tied up in what's actually triggering our addictive behaviors and we free it, then we have freed up a lot of energy and we become clear and we can easily recognize others that carry those same addictive tendencies and be an inspiration to them. If you're interesting, uh, if you have an interest in addiction, you may find my podcast with Dean Tara Bordelli the founder of The Sanctuary in Sedona, Arizona, which is a holistic addiction treatment center to be very informative. Then we need to look into belief systems when it comes to entering a new year and freeing up uh, energy that binds us and likes, uh, like, is likely to uh, produce a lot of unconscious behaviors that don't serve us. It's important to realize that belief systems are, by definition, closed. Christians don't have a hard time defining themselves from Muslims or people practicing Judaism because there is closure on those religious belief systems, and it is due to that closure that they know when, where, and how to reject any idea that is not congruent with their stated belief system. Unfortunately, belief systems create basically contrived ignorance, an unwillingness to look at other people's viewpoints, and that leads to segregation and isolation, which creates an illusion, and the illusion is me versus you or my belief against your belief. And unfortunately, in my experience, the universe will not provide the power to maintain illusions, so we must do that on our own 
And that is one of the key reasons people are tired and get addicted to stimulants and sugar and caffeine without realizing that they are creating illusions that are causing them a lot of stress. One of the most common illusions you can create for yourself is telling yourself a story like, nobody loves me, or I'm no good at anything, or I'm ugly, or things like that, because those don't really take you anywhere unless you can convert that belief or related behavior into something positive and dream affirmative, which is why I shared the name it, blame it, and tame it exercise, for which there are many techniques that I teach in Czech Practitioner and Czech Holistic Lifestyle Coach and Czech Four Quadrant Coaching Mastery. But that one is very effective, and any of them are effective if they get used. Another issue is a question. Are your beliefs practical, supportive, and creating freedom, or are they theoretical, unpractical, limiting possibilities, and creating rigidity and closed-mindedness? My experience of belief systems, which often have the letters ISM attached to them, ism, such as Nazism or vegetarianism or any other such ism, is that, again, an ism is a belief system that they lead to um, segregation. They lead to uh, creating invisible walls that usually trigger a lot of judgment toward anybody that's not inside the wall with you or who is not um, (laughs) indoctrinated into the belief system. You're unlikely to be able to honestly evaluate this for yourself because a lot of this is unconscious programming. So it is very wise to speak of those, speak to those that you love and trust for feedback, but they can't be people that live out the same belief systems or you'll just add illusion to illusion. So in other words, if you are questioning whether or not your belief system is really healthy or whole, don't go to somebody else with the same (laughs) illusion or you'll just get further diluted. So if you're ready to really learn and grow, then find somebody that has a different viewpoint or a different way of relating and preferably someone with enough life experience and wisdom and maturity to be honest with you. Or you may just find manipulation meeting manipulation, which leads to more manipulation or illusion feeding illusion. These are really big boy, big girl propositions here. I know a lot of people are too afraid to do this or they're too programmed to even question their own belief system. But as I tell my students, any belief worth living is worth challenging. And especially if you are a Czech professional, because I train all Czech professionals to be open-minded and open-hearted so they can be of service to all people in the world, regardless of what their belief systems, which means we can't be Uh, walking around with blinders on ourselves or we're not very helpful to anybody. Um, Some of my students come in with very heavy religious programming, often Christian, and I tell them, if the only people in the world you're going to coach are Christians, then you can feel free to maintain your illusion. But if you want to really be of support to the people of the world and grow beyond ethnocentric ideologies, my group versus your group, then it's important for you to step up to the plate uh, 
and become a servant of the world, not just a few people trapped in an ism or a belief system. Now, another technique that I use and learned from Tom and Joy Campanero, owners of Total Gym, who are people that I really love and have had a great long-term relationship with, is to have a must-have and a must-not-have list. So create a must-have and a must-not-have list for yourself, and then have the discipline to stick to it. If you can't, you need to look uh, deeper into your issues of the survival archetypes and your own individuation. And I'll expand on that in a minute. So in review of 2019, what are the things you now realize with clarity looking back in reflection that you must have, either the things that you must give yourself or that you must acquire in relationships to maintain wholeness or have it be a sustainable relationship personally, professionally, or spiritually. Spiritually would mean connecting to others. So if you're if you must have a more expanded view of religious ideology, then you might explore things like Baha'i or Buddhism or Taoism or uh, Shinto or any of the world's great religions, many of which are just loaded with beautiful, beautiful teachings, and then you will grow. And then write down what you must not have moving forward personally and in relationships that are important and in relationship to how you contribute to the world. So your must-have list might include something like, I must not make excuses about why I'm not accomplishing what I set out to accomplish this year and I choose to be and live dream affirmatively. So having that must-have, must-not-have list really helps you see where you want to keep things in your life that are working, such as the good ideas that your parents may have given you about how to manage your finances or how to be a responsible person or how to maintain healthy virtues, for example. Now, the concept of individuation, which means working on yourself, is often thought to be self-indulgent. Many people in partnerships, such as husband, wife, or boyfriend, girlfriend, often find themselves being ridiculed by one of the partners for spending so much time working on themselves as though that's a bad thing. Any kind of real individuation is not self-indulgent, but in fact enhances the quality of the self that we bring to the other. We love the other by lifting him or her of the burden of healing us and making us the center of attention or relying on them to make our life meaningful. So when we grow truly as individuals, we take responsibility for creating joy within ourselves, for managing our way ourselves effectively and in ways that frees us to have more time to really share in loving relationships and be present in them. We free the other person in proportion to the degree that we have freed ourselves. And this is surely what Jesus meant when he asked us to love our neighbor as ourselves. 
It is not possible to love the neighbor without the capacity to love oneself first, thus the paradox of personal myth, the story you tell yourself is that we frequently impose it upon the other, albeit unconsciously, and relationships falter and fail. Only greater knowledge of one's myth or story can enhance the quality of relationship. So what I'm really trying to point out here, and I learned this from studying the teachings of James Hollis, a professor of Jungian psychology, who's written many beautiful books. If you're interested, you can just search James Hollis on Amazon. (laughs) Everything he writes is worth reading, I can promise you. And you may find my interview with James Hollis absolutely amazing. I certainly did. So working on ourselves to the degree that it makes us self-reliant and self-responsible ultimately allows us to bring more into relationship and also means that we become good examples for others to follow. What a great way to enter 2020. Now, next, I'd like to talk about how creation emerges. And we've been talking about self-reflection, but it's important to remember that self-reflection is only useful if it's followed by thoughtful action. Creation emerges first from thought, which is also inclusive of our imagination. And when we think and reflect, as I've described here, we can get very clear, and to the degree that our thoughts are dream affirmative, then they are clear. One of the key things to remember about creating dreams is referred to as the ABCs of dream creation, and we approach them backwards, starting with C. First, we have to have clarity. Second, we have to have beliefs in ourselves. We have to believe in ourselves. And third, we must take action. Most people abort the creation of their dreams at the action step, often because they're acting out the child and expecting somebody else to make things happen for them. So step one in dream creation is the thought and making sure that it is one where we have clarity. Second is word, which relates to planning with belief in ourselves. So we plan our business. We write a business plan. We write our goals. We are putting our thoughts into words, which is an action phase that takes the thought out of just the mind. And by actually saying these words out loud, vocalizing them, we put vibration to them, which literally vibrates our chakra centers and produces the hormones that convert the thought into a personal experience that we can experience through our senses. And so when we're writing, we're also using our motor system. So the thought, the spoken word, and the action take the uh, process deeper and deeper into our physiology, our nervous system, and we literally begin to embody our uh, dream. And then third is deed. So first we have thought, then we have word, and the deed is to take action in the direction of your dream each day as outlined by your goals, dreams, and objectives. And I will share more about tips for that as we move forward. But it's important. I teach my students 
in holistic lifestyle coach training, a formula that I developed for coaching my clients and even for directing myself. It's called the 1-4-100 formula. If you improve yourself only 1% a day in any one of your four doctors, Dr. Happiness, Dr. Diet, Dr. Quiet, or Dr. Movement, within 100 days, you are a 100% transformed person. Now, when you think about it, Asking yourself for only a 1% improvement in any area of your life is not that big of a request, but you'd be amazed how many people just talk themselves out of participating or get trapped in their unconscious behaviors and turn out to uh, do exactly the things that drive them nuts about their parents, only blaming it on other people. So, Remember, creation emerges in three steps. Thinking about it, ideally with clarity, using your imagination to create what you want and find new ways to be creative and creating what you want if it seems like it might be challenging, but that's part of the journey. Word planning with belief in yourself, stating your dreams, goals, and objectives out loud, preferably each day until they're woven into the fabric of your consciousness, indeed, taking action each day and committing to at least a 1% improvement in all the areas that you know are essential for your growth. And then we come to the four doctors, and it's interesting that if you know how to do a numerological reduction, um, you can take any number such as your birth date, add all the numbers up and keep going till you get a single digit. So the numerological reduction for 2020, two plus zero is two, plus two is four, plus zero is four. So the master number for 2020 is four, which in tarot is the emperor, the master of creating in the outside world and managing your domain and working effectively with the elements of earth, water, fire, and air. So on a global scheme, the numerological uh, archetype from Tarot for this 2020 year would be the emperor, which means we're all going to uh, have an opportunity to become responsible for what we're creating with the management of earth, water, fire, and air. Now, I won't go into an ecological description of why that's critical, because most of you that have even a handful of brain cells holding hands know exactly what I'm referring to. But in our own life, being the emperor uh, means what do you choose to do in order to better care for yourself so that you have the vitality and mental clarity to live your dreams? And remember, you're worth it. It took the whole universe to create each one of us. There's no question about that. So the four in my system is the four categories of core values. So what are you willing to do to create happiness for yourself each day? What are you willing to do to move your body and your emotions and your mind effectively to create your dream each day this new year? What are you willing to do to individualize your diet so you're eating high quality foods and getting the foods that you need on a day-to-day -day or meal-to-meal -meal basis? And what are you willing to do to create quiet for yourself so you have time for introspection and can rest effectively and contribute fully to the creation of your dream each day or have enough 
energy in reserve so that when any kind of a real crisis comes, you can participate as an adult. So core values are our statements to ourselves, our agreement with ourselves about when we will say yes and when we will say no with regard to these essential four qualities of a holistic living philosophy. So doing that to begin your year is a very, very wise investment of your time. Now, before taking on challenging choices, first we need to make peace with where we're at right now. Many people are in the habit of creating dreams, goals, and objectives without realizing they haven't uh, cleared the unfinished business that keeps entangling them, whether that be uh, relationships that are not healthy, relationships with yourself, relationships with substance, uh, making excuses and things like that. There's only three choices we can make in relationship to any person, place, or thing, which I teach in the Czech program. One is the optimal, which is the best choice for you and everybody on your dream team, which is anybody that's involved in you achieving your dreams, goals, or objectives throughout the year. The suboptimal is the choice that usually gives us instant gratification, but somehow causes problems on our dream team or in relationship to our ability to be responsible and complete the goals and objectives that we state for ourselves in any given period. And then there's doing nothing, which has three uh, derivations. To do nothing can mean to call a timeout because you're getting further and further away from somebody you're having a conversation with. It might be getting heated. You might be feeling negative. You might be feeling attacked. But if you just call a timeout and say, look, I can't stay connected to you from the heart right now. I'll come back to this when I can contribute in meaningful ways and walk away, that's an effective use of doing nothing. When you don't have enough information to make an informed decision, it's best not to make the purchase or say yes until you're sure that you can do it from your heart and that it's not going to be a distraction to being the person you're choosing to be and fulfilling the commitments to relationships that you've made commitments to. And the worst possible use of do nothing is to be, um, to not care, to, um, to be apathetic. Um, that is the worst possible option in any situation. So we have optimal, suboptimal, and do nothing. If you're having a challenge, then you can ask who has accomplished what, the, what it is that you want to accomplish and seek consultation from them, read their books, watch their videos, listen to their podcasts, and you will get the information most likely that you need or hire them as a mentor. Who has healed what you now choose to heal? These are the people that can give you wise counsel and share resources that may provide information you need to make an intelligent, informed decision. I share a lot of this kind of information uh, and practical advice in my Evolve Yourself podcast series, where I go through a series of podcasts called Evolve Yourself Physically. The next one is Evolve Yourself Emotionally. The third is Evolve Yourself Mentally. The fourth is Evolve Yourself Spiritually. And the final podcast in the series of five is Evolve Your Career. I've had tremendous feedback, and in fact, those are probably the most listened to podcasts I've ever produced. So 
Um, if you want support, you may find a lot more specific support than I can share here, uh, considering those five podcasts total about 13 running hours of, of uh, me sharing with you. Next, in order for us to really live our 2020 fully, we have to address our story gap. Ken Wilber says the greater the gap between the story we tell ourselves and the story we tell others, the more likely we are to become fatigued. If it keeps going, we will start having illnesses. Then we will create diseases. And finally, we're likely to die um, prematurely. So being authentic with yourself, doing the self-reflection work, naming, blaming, and taming our negative dream, negative thoughts, and the beliefs that separate us from others, and keeping our beliefs open so we don't fall into the trap of belief systems and isms, always closes the story gap. And what we call people that live without any real significant story gap are authentic people. And they always have the greatest power to harmonize and move others. And they usually have charisma. They are, they are magnetic people. Mahatma Gandhi was authentic. Martin Luther King was authentic. John F. Kennedy was authentic. Eckhart Tolle is authentic. Deepak Chopra, in my opinion, is an authentic man. Ram Dass is an authentic man. And the list goes on. There's plenty of great examples for us out there. Steiner warned us that when people are facing a health crisis in their life, that it was the task of the physician to find out what their secret story is. The secret story is the things we mutter to ourselves. I'd only be happy. I could be happy if so-and-so would only do this for me or that for me. My life is the shits because I was abandoned as a child. My life is the shits because I was sexually abused. Now, it's not that those things aren't real issues where we can give ourselves empathy and compassion or even get professional help to heal. It's just if our secret story is disabling us and it's not congruent with the story we're telling ourselves or the role we're acting out, then our secret story actually becomes um, the container of our power leaks where we're losing our vitality, our life force, our honesty, our truth, and giving away our adult responsibilities to childlike stories. Whenever people would uh, hire Carl, Carl Jung as, his, as their therapist or psychiatrist, he said that the first thing he would look for is their unmet task. What is it that they know they need to do, whether it be um, bringing closure in relationships, getting out of relationships that aren't working for them, such as jobs, that they're not happy in or addictions that they know are limiting their creative abilities. That would be what Jung meant by an unmet task. I call the unmet task in my system the nightmare. So what is it that if you really honestly address it and handle it effectively will free up the most energy and creativity so you can live and love fully? In my experience of coaching people, it's almost always financial. Of all the nightmares I run into, the most common is something to do with managing money. And so I refer people to debt counselors or people that are good at investing. 
and they get help. And anybody that's gone and done that has freed up a lot of energy and doing things like consolidating their bills, getting lower interest loans and things like that can really be a big help. And then, of course, being wise enough not to keep making the same mistakes that got you in trouble in the first place. Osho says there's no such thing as a mistake except doing something twice when you're absolutely sure it didn't work the first time. Now, in the book The Luck Factor by Brian Tracy, which I read many years ago, he shares the law of attraction, which says you are a living magnet and you inevitably attract into your life the people, circumstances, ideas, and resources that are in harmony with your dominant thoughts. And I believe that to be very, very true. So if we work on being authentic, healing our story gap, and addressing our unmet task, and we have reflection, and we are clear about our must-do, or must-have, and must-not-do-or-have list, and we work at making just a 1% or more gain each day in the areas where we are most entangled, then it's impossible for us not to have a more beautiful 2020 than we did in 2019. In other words, a more beautiful year. Now let's get into the issues of we and your experience in relationships. Here's a beautiful quote from Bruce Lee, who's been a hero of mine since I was a child. Bruce Lee who was a much wiser guy than many people realize. Actually, search him out on YouTube. You can see all sorts of neat stuff uh, in his philosophy. Bruce Lee says, Self-knowledge involves relationship. To know oneself is to study oneself in action with another person. Relationship is a process of self-evaluation and self-revelation. Relationship is the mirror in which you discover yourself. To be is to be related. Bruce Lee. Aho, Bruce Lee. Good job. So we must realize that we can't grow or evolve without relationships. There's massive amounts of information validating that in pretty much all schools of psychology. So where did you do well and where were you challenged in your personal and professional relationships this year? Those are things to reflect on. Those are things to get clear on. Those are things to work with so that when unconscious beliefs and behaviors rise up as judgments that aren't healthy, that are separating us from the other person or from ourselves, we can name them, blame them, tame them, and we can flip them over and convert them into dream affirmative thoughts, knowing that the negative must also carry the positive. Now, if you find yourself frequently tired, feeling unsupported or frustrated in any of your relationships, look carefully at why you keep investing in a relationship that isn't serving you. You may be enabling someone who will only grow when left to stand on their own two feet. I know this very well. My brother was a drug addict and he used to beg me and drive me crazy asking for money as he did the whole family. But it didn't take me long to see that every time that he was asking for money for food or to pay his rent, it turned out to be uh, drug money and he just got himself further himself further and further in the hole. So it takes a lot of adult awareness to know when our participation in relationships with others may be actually disabling them if we're doing too much for them. And that's admittedly uh, 
um, a type of conditional love that we have to um, grow the wisdom to know how to engage effectively. In my system, we start off as sex and violence lovers, then we learn how to love conditionally, and then we grow into empathetic and compassionate lovers. But you will quickly find that if you're an empathetic and compassionate lover, that giving empathy and compassion or feeling sorry for people and giving them money actually isn't as effective as helping them create conditions by which they can effectively grow, which requires that they get clear on what they want or what their dream is uh, instead of focusing on what they don't want all the time. And to the degree that there's a nightmare involved, then helping them create terms and conditions of engagement to heal the nightmare is the best thing we can do. And if we do anything other than that, we may be actually disabling them, which we often do because we're actually unwilling to experience pain with them. So we try to give them money or give them things in hopes that we can get them out of our space so we don't have to feel the pain that they're feeling. And it takes a fair bit of maturity to learn to allow yourself through empathy and compassion to feel another's pain and not get drowned by it. Some examples of challenges in relationship are neediness, which relates to the child archetype and codependent behavior. So needy people always have something they need from you in order to feel happy, complete, whole, or to live that they should be giving themselves. That's why it's neediness. Victim behavior, which we referred to poor me behavior as victim behavior. Martyr behavior. Some people are acting out the martyr archetype where they're constantly reminding us of how much they sacrifice so they can be or do whatever it is that they are in relationship to us or others. Excessive gossip and or meaningless conversation without substance uh, can be a challenge in relationships. I'm not somebody that really gets off on that stuff. So when I have people around me and I try to steer them away from that, but they keep doing, they probably notice that they just magically don't find me in their presence very often because I have respect for myself and I will only um, go so far before I realize that that person needs to spend more time with themselves to get clear on um, what they need to do to make themselves enjoyable to be around before uh, I'm likely to participate. And then sabotaging. So are you sabotaging yourself or are you sabotaging in relationships? So it's very, very important to realize that behind this is, is the importance of respecting yourself. If you don't respect yourself, others won't either. Remember, the world sees what you put out there, so hold yourself to a high standard of grace and elegance. And that's a quote that I got from the uh, web. Respect yourself. If you don't, others won't either. Remember, the world sees what you put out there, so hold yourself to a high standard of grace and elegance. And I couldn't have said it more beautifully myself. Moving forward, we want to be clear about who is or should be on our dream team going into 2020. So the people on our dream team are the people that support us in accomplishing our dream goals and objectives. And be clear about how their support of you is, is reciprocated. In other words, what can you do 
for them to support their dreams, goals, or objectives? Or how is them supporting you somehow supporting their dreams, goals, and objectives? For example, if your goal is to compete in an Ironman triathlon and you have the money to get a custom-built bike, then the person building the bike is on your dream team and their dream is to support you by creating the best possible bicycle they can for you within the uh, financial range that you can operate in. And your dream is to have that bicycle and support them with the information that they need or the feedback or to give them the chance to measure your body and get the particulars so that they can make you the most amazing triathlon bike you ever had. We often get complacent and don't realize that almost everything that helps us in our life was made by someone else, from the toilet paper we use, to the cars we drive, to the tools we use, to the computers, to the technology. So those are all things we can be grateful for. Getting anything meaningful done requires mutual love, respect, and contribution, And so our relationships are very, very critical because if we don't choose them wisely, then there's not a mutual reciprocity of love, respect, and contribution. And we can find ourselves going in circles wondering why it's December again and we haven't really accomplished much, if any, of our goals, dreams, and objectives. It's very important to remember that you're 50% of every relationship you're in. So being present is essential or the boat of your dreams will go in circles. So if you just imagine two people rowing a boat together, one on one side with an oar and the other on the other side, if we're not contributing equally in our dream team relationships and we're the one doing all the rowing, well, unfortunately, the harder we try, the more the boat just goes in circles. So if we're not careful about who we choose in relationships and who we uh, recruit onto our dream team, we could find ourselves going around in circles and working harder and harder. And that's often what happens when people are too isolated within themselves or too um, self-directed, self-aware, but lack competency in relationship or lack the ability to be discerning and honest with people that aren't contributing effectively. For example, whenever I'm creating a new project through the Institute, I know that if I go too long to complete it and there's a course coming up, I can put tremendous stress on everybody in the Institute to do their jobs of editing and making manuals and all the things that are necessary. So to be fair on my dream team, I have to do my very best to honor their needs and their schedules or the boat just goes in circles. Now, when it comes to our we relationships, it's important also to consider what is called the shadow. It's the part of ourselves that we don't like, that we repress, but unconsciously project onto others. So to identify your shadow, look for patterns in relationship challenges, such as why did breakups emerge? Ask the other or others why they left or broke up with you if you don't know, which goes back to our eye investigation. What can you see with self reflection and being honest with yourself. Look carefully at your parental programming as suggested earlier when I talked about your I relationships and your relationship with yourself. 
And you'll see that often we project the negative qualities we assign to our parents in our relationships, yet (laughs) seldom recognize that we are living out the very things about mom and dad that really drove us nuts. So these are uh, ways of exploring the shadow. Um, Your judgments, look at where you judge other people. Remember, a judgment is any statement that separates you from somebody else. For example, I um, may make statements about my dissatisfaction with Donald Trump, but it's important for us to distinguish a judgment from an observation. If we observe and we state our observations, we're simply stating what we see but we're not separating ourselves from that person. And this is extremely important when parenting. If you're judging your child and making them feel guilt and shame and somehow, like if they don't behave in a certain way or do certain things, they can't get your love, that is very, very dangerous. That's a judgment. If you judge somebody you're in relationship with and make them feel they can't get your love unless they do certain things in certain ways, then you're separating yourself from them. But if you're observing a behavior and you're staying connected at the heart, that's not a judgment. That's an observation. So when we're looking into our shadow, we need to look carefully at where we're judging ourselves. So if we think fat people are ridiculous, then we're judging them. If we think um, certain people uh, shouldn't be on the face of the planet, then we're judging them. And we're creating illusions when we judge because separation is not the truth of the universe. Wholeness is. And again, we will have to carry the energy to maintain those judgments. We'll have to create it and it can burn us out. It's also important to remember the old sort of technique for getting clear on a greater reality And that is if you point your finger like you're blaming somebody for something, you'll notice that there's three fingers pointing back at you. So part of healing the shadow is realizing that for every complaint or criticism you have of another, see if you can identify up to three ways or reasons you have contributed to the relationship challenge. So if you're saying, you never do this, or you don't do that, if you would only do this, I would such and such, it takes a mature adult to say, now, how have I contributed to that? And how can I support this person in change if it's something that they're really willing to do for the relationship? That's how you begin healing. Is the relationship mirroring your shadow projections? And oftentimes, well, most often, we attract people into relationships with us that carry the programming necessary to provoke our unconscious which we can recognize because they irritate us. So wherever we're being irritated, that's where our healing opportunities are and vice versa. Whatever we're irritating in them, that's where the growth possibility is. And remember, in many cases like this, being honest is, is how we create clarity. It, it's important to remember that, remember that conflict is a healthy part of any healthy relationship. As long as you can enter the conflict like you would enter a debate with somebody you love and manage yourself so that you're not creating disconnection. You're just creating an honest exploration of truth, good, or beauty, or an honest exploration designed to clear the fog 
that uh, ultimately enhances your ability to love yourself and others. Now, there's a, a little diagram uh, I have called the healthy relationship wheel. So what do each of your key relationships need to be balanced, healthy, and dream affirmative? And my healthy relationship wheel um, gives us key categories to look into in relationships. So where can we use non-threatening behavior? In other words, being non-judgmental or maybe more observational and sharing with love, not with the need to control. Where might respect be important in our relationships for ourselves or the other? Where can we trust the other and support them? And where might we need more trust and support from key people in our relationships? Where is honesty needed? Um, where is responsible parenting needed? Where can we share responsibilities more effectively to make the relationship more harmonious? Um, I just had a conversation with Angie this morning, um, Angie Check, my wife, and she shared with me that that she would like me to be more responsible in supporting her in getting into the gym. And so I said, thank you for sharing that with me. I will make sure that I'll do my best every day that I'm at home. If you tell me when you'd like to go to the gym, that I will do my best to watch the kids so you can get more exercise. And so there's an example of sharing responsibility. Next is economic partnership. Where can we support others in ways that are dream affirmative and, and honest expressions of our love? And where can we ask for support uh, economically and reassure that person that we value their support and we will handle it as a mature adult and that they will get paid back in according to the agreement that we set up? And finally, where is more fairness needed? in our relationships, either from ourselves or from the others. Now, one of the things that Houston Smith said before he died, Houston Smith was the world's most famous and highly regarded expert on world religion and a beautiful, beautiful man. He was asked in his last interview if he had a message for the world before he died. And he said, with a pause, he said, yes, just be a little kinder. Be a little kinder to yourself, be kinder to others, and be kinder to the world. So we can add a ninth factor in our relationships. Just be a little kinder to ourselves, which makes it easier for us to be kinder to others in relationships, and things go better. And that's one I've been working on for a very long time, because I do have a lot of fire, and I do have a lot of focus. So people that get in the way of me accomplishing my objectives... Um, if I feel like they're doing it for selfish reasons or childish reasons, or they're not thinking for themselves, can bring out a little bit of my father's extreme directness and sometimes doesn't go over as well as I'd like. So I'm looking at ways always to be a little more kinder, but not be a pushover. And that's where the real dance is. That's the challenge. Now, finally, to the all, you in the world and the world in you. What are you willing to do in 2020 to make the world a better place for all living beings? We're at a point where that's a real issue. And if you don't realize that, 
today is a good day to wake up. There are mountains of books, audios, videos, documentaries, etc. on the issues of the world, not to mention many of the world's greatest teachers reminding us all the time. So in that regard, I'd like to share a beautiful quote from the Dalai Lama, who I love and respect deeply. Human use, population, and technology have reached that certain stage where Mother Earth no longer accepts our presence with silence. And along with the quote is a beautiful picture of the world with fire and explosions and smokestacks and oil pouring out the bottom of it, looking like it just been hit by a nuclear weapon. And uh, I think that pretty much sums it up. And so each of us can think about key things like how we invest our money for the products we're buying, which is ultimately fueling corporations that are either using sustainable practices that support nature so she can keep supporting us or they're not. And that is an issue we must address together now or we're in deep doo-doo. I don't think I need to say more on that. Next is why gratitude is so essential to our healing and growth. So here's a beautiful quote by Melody Beattie. Gratitude unlocks the fullness of life. It turns what we have into enough and more. It turns denial into acceptance, chaos to order, confusion to clarity. It can turn a meal into a feast, a house into a home, and a stranger into a friend. And that is very true. So my recommendation is to spend time each day identifying all the things you're grateful for. Start with the simple things like the earth, the water, the food, the air, the warmth of the sun or the fire element, the fact that we have safety, uh, we have shelter, we have warmth in our body, we have breath, we have a body, and then all the people, places, and things that allow us to live and share love. That, as I mentioned earlier, is how I begin each day and I think it's so important that even if I'm busy and in a rush or moving through an airport at early hours of the morning, I do it within myself as I'm walking, moving, and completing other tasks. And I try to do it throughout the day, and I will do it right now. I'm very grateful to share this moment with all of you. And so here's a song, Angie, and I created for our students. Well, I'm grateful for this life, and I'm grateful for this love. And I'm grateful for this moment with you right now. Well, I'm grateful for this life and I'm grateful for this love and I'm grateful for this moment with you right now. So there's my love and gratitude for you right now. Without gratitude, we fall into the dangerous trap of expectation and forget about all the beings who give us life and love. And many of them we walk on, such as the beings of the soil. Many of them we breathe. They're the tiny little beings we don't even know we're breathing. Sometimes we don't realize that buying all the junk that we often buy comes from sweatshop labor in third world countries where people are being paid a fraction of what they should be paid 
and that a lot of the garbage that we keep buying is poisoning the planet. So by having gratitude for the earth and for nature and realizing that our gratitude can extend itself into attitude and behaviors that are dream affirmative that make the world a better place for all living beings, then we're going to create a more beautiful 2020 for ourselves and each other. One of the things that Dr. Oliver taught me, Dr. Cliff Oliver, who used to teach our holistic lifestyle coaching programs with me all over the world, is a beautiful question. And that question is, what would love do now? So if you're about to throw garbage out the window or act in ways that wouldn't be ideal if repeated by everybody, you can always ask yourself, what would love do now? If somebody's treating you in ways that make you want to bite back, you can say, what would love do now? And it takes a lot of spiritual courage to act in accordance with love as opposed to acting out program behaviors and program fears that may not necessarily be true. In fact, Zig Ziglar says, for most people, fear is false evidence appearing real. And most of the things that we're, we were afraid of in our lives have turned out not to be true. So now let's talk about some tips for planning your 2020. Einstein beautifully stated, your dreams are a snapshot of your future. And that's true. In fact, um, I remember reading um, Arnold Mendel's, one of Arnold Mendel's books, and he stated that research in psychology showed that a significant percentage of children know exactly what their dream for their life is by age five. And if they're unobstructed by their parents, that's exactly what they become. So if a five-year-old says, I want to be a fireman or a policeman or a pilot, if we support them in that, that's usually what they will become. By the age of five, kids have a pretty damn good idea of what they want to do. So their dreams are a snapshot of their future. A quote by Les Brown is quite beautiful. He says, shoot for the moon. Even if you miss, you will land among the stars. And that is a great way to think about it. Now, I'm going to quote uh, a section of one, old, one of Arnold Patton's universal principles, which you can find at arnoldpatton.com. It's called Align with the Universe. It says, I open to the universal flow of energy moving freely through my body. Alignment with my purpose keeps me aligned with the universe. Efforting is a consequence of resisting the universal flow of energy. It is a clear sign that we are out of alignment. Now, naturally, we have to apply some effort. But really, when he says efforting, he means more like struggling or efforting in the way that you're walking around complaining to everybody about it or complaining to yourself about how shitty your life is and if only this or if only that, which almost always is just uh, the side effect of poor self-management. But when we're really working with the kind of techniques I'm sharing here and we align ourselves with the harmony of the universe, we will find that the universe does support us and all sorts of mysterious and magical things happen and people show up to support us in ways that we never expected. And I've had many, many experiences of that and know it to be true, which is why I'm sharing it with you here. 
Now, I created a goals wheel many years ago in my PPS Success Mastery Program, and we're uh, going to make my goals wheel available to you, uh, hopefully in the show notes. Um, but somewhere, somehow, uh, maybe Penny will tell you when she closes out the podcast. But in my goals wheel, we have uh, spokes, and each spoke represents a key area where we could be aware of and set goals. So one is financial, um, second is physical health, next is eating habits, and then next is our sexuality or our sexiness, which is um, related to how our energy flows. In other words, do we keep running into obstacles or do we find that we manage the flow of our energy and engage the energy of others effectively? Next is stress management. Next is emotional stability. Next is our self-concept, our concept of ourselves, and i.e. how healthy that is. Next is relationships, then communication skills, then creativity, and then goals for our spiritual development. And some of those goals are eye-oriented, which is career development, uh, safety and financial, physical health, eating habits, our sexuality or sexiness and our flow, stress management, emotional stability, and self-content is the border of relationships and communication skills, which are we-related, and then all is our creativity and our spiritual development. So the I-we-all of personal, professional, spiritual success mastery is encapsulated. And it rates you, it's a self-rating system from one or didn't do very well to 10 did extremely well. And then you connect the dots on the goals wheel and the more round your uh, wheel looks, the more well-rounded you are and where it's out of balance. In other words, where you score low scores like ones, twos, or threes, is where it's ideal for you to focus. So doing that gives you an an overview, a subjective rating, so you know where to put your energy. Remember, a chain is only, only as strong as the weakest link. So if you focus your efforts where you are the weakest, per se, you'll get the greatest results. Our tendency is to focus on our strengths and keep reinforcing that because it helps bolster the ego. So for example, yogis love to go tie themselves in knots, but would often do a lot better to spend about half of that time in a gym strengthening their bodies. And a lot of people going to gyms are uh, facilitating their strengths, but would be a lot better off if they went and hung out in yoga studios two or three times a week to balance their bodies. So there's an example of bringing balance as opposed to focusing on your strength um, because it won't grow you much. Next, I'd like to talk about love. Love takes energy and commitment. And it's important to remember that a a labor of love is always easier to manage than a labor without love, which is why the prostitute archetype is one we should really look at because the grand majority of people out there are not working at jobs they love and they're staying in relationships, whether they be uh, friends or co-workers um, or others that aren't uh, fruitful and are often um, 
relationships that keep bringing things like alcohol, drugs, and negative attitudes into their environment and making it harder for them to rise above that. So if we want to live with more love in our lives, then we first have to start with ourselves, and then we need to be conscious about um, editing relationships or curtailing or ending relationships that aren't healthy for us so that we don't get caught into that negative mode of existing. One of the things that I've been doing for many, many years, I was first taught this by a very powerful shaman, healer, teacher, uh, by the name of Rowena Kreider, K-R-Y-D-E-R. Search her on Google, R-O-W-E-N-A, Kreider, K-R-Y-D-E-R, a phenomenal artist, a powerful shaman, a great teacher. This woman probably had about the equivalent of seven master's degrees and PhDs. She was a, a genius at math, at science. She was a master builder, a master artist. She had degrees in nutrition. She was, I mean, in mu- music, she was a musician. I mean, I'm I'm somebody that likes to hang out with smart people, but this woman was really mind-blowing. Unfortunately, she died a few years ago, uh, and I was able to say goodbye to her. I had an intuition one day. She was close to leaving the world, so I quickly called her, and she confirmed that my intuition was right. She was in her 90s, and she told me she had lost interest in the earth plane and would be leaving soon, and about a month later, she died. But Rowena Kreider left a tremendous legacy. There's many great books written by her. I have all of them in my library. Um, I think you'll find her work, her art, and her teachings fascinating. She introduced me to the concept of mandalas, which is a type of art, which I'll explain in a minute, for healing. And and I did a, a week or longer, I can't remember, maybe even longer than a week workshop on the nine Egyptian light bodies with her at her home in uh, Boulder, Colorado, in the early 2000s. And uh, boy, once she got me onto the mandala experience, it just split me wide open. And I've done hundreds and hundreds of mandalas since then and studied it and taught it to countless of my students and use it in my healing work with clients and have become an art therapist through years of study and practice. And uh, so, Rowena, wherever you are, I love you, and I'm grateful for you teaching me mandala therapy. Now, artistically expressing our heartfelt intentions for our new year is quite magic. It allows our unconscious and conscious to co-create together. And remember, your unconscious is much more powerful for creating than your conscious mind. So when we can harness our unconscious, it's important. It's also important to remember that our unconscious holds our potentials. It doesn't just hold the darkness of us and our shadow. In fact, for every dark element we find ourselves, we are also finding one of our potentials. So if you're needy, your potential is to be more sharing. If you're negative, your potential is to be positive. If you have low self-esteem, you have the potential for high self-esteem and healthy living in relationship to yourself and others. So I want to point out that art 
is a beautiful way to begin working in harmony with your unconscious. Using color to express your dream in images and symbols carries meanings that words just don't capture and sends a message to the universe saying, I'm ready to co-create with you. Here is our blueprint. Let's get started. The word mandala means wheel or vortex, and the circle symbolizes wholeness. So a mandala is a piece of art that you draw with any medium you choose that starts by drawing a circle. I usually have my patients and clients uh, take a dinner plate and find a piece of art paper. Ideally, I recommend using watercolor paper that's good and thick so uh, color pens or uh, paints and things don't bleed through and ruin the paper. But you want a piece of paper about big enough to put a dinner plate on and make a circle around unless you specifically want a smaller mandala, but usually there's not enough room to fully express your dreams, goals, and intentions for the year if you don't have at least the size of a dinner plate to begin with. Some tips for doing a mandala is let the kid come out of you. Avoid judging your art. If you have a hard time doing that, which many do, believe me, I've taught thousands of people uh, through art, then you're diagnosing yourself as someone whose judgments are limiting their freedom, and that's no way to enter your new year. And you probably have soul loss, parts of your the child self and you that have been broken off by trauma. And just by being more willing to let the child come out of you, you can regain the spontaneity, the creativity, and the energy, and the joy of the child that's been repressed in you, often by school teachers and parents who uh, are trying to judge you or, or tell you that you're not good enough, but it's up to us as adults to heal that. Ideally, you want to have the colors black, silver, and gold, and the colors of the rainbow as your minimum palette. Now, I request that my patients and students use black, silver, gold, and the colors of the rainbow at minimum because as a therapist and a teacher, I'm trained to interpret what it is that they're expressing in their art, and each of those colors has meaning and significance in art therapy. And remember that all color is vibration. The whole universe is made of vibration. So, for example, a lot of green symbolizes the fourth chakra, which is all about giving and receiving love and staying connected to the whole. Um, silver is a color that symbolizes a lot of energy. Gold, for example, symbolizes wisdom. So we don't need to know the meanings of those colors because our soul already does. The secret is just empty yourself, and I'll give you a technique for that, and allow yourself to um, express whatever it is that rises in you, or you can use the technique that I will share with you shortly. You can use color pencils, crayons, color pens, watercolors, um, acrylic paints, or oil paints. If you really <laughs> refuse to use color, you can do it in pencil, but you're going to miss out on a lot of the potent um, benefits of looking at your mandala in color. Um, it'd be like the difference between watching black and white television and HD in color. I mean, who would sit there watching a black and white television with the awareness that today, for 
probably not much more money than it would cost to buy a black and white. You could get a beautiful color. Imagine if the whole world was black and white, how flat that would be. So when we're expressing our New Year's mandala, we want it to be vibrant, colorful, and beautiful so it expresses the depths of our soul's potential and our child nature. So you start by choosing the color of the outer circle. If you're not sure you're in an intellectual roadblock, then one of the things you can do is just look at or touch each of the colors and see what happens inside of you. Just work your way through or just start with the ones you feel most attracted to. When you touch a color and it gives you a sense of wholeness within yourself, which you have to sort of be aware within yourself, then that's a good indication that your soul is saying, go ahead and use that color. If you studied my primal pattern eating online uh, training program or taken HLC2 training, you'll know how to connect to your soul and get guidance, which you can use that approach for creating your mandala, choosing colors and all things related. If you have stated dreams, goals, or objectives for the new year, the technique that I use is to identify the key words such as love, abundance, freedom, healing, family, and words like that, and then make a chant out of them and go into a meditative state, start chanting with the intention or the request to have your soul give you an image that encapsulates your New Year's dream, goals, and objectives, and then create it. What happens is your piece of art, your mandala, becomes a living antenna because it carries your intention and your dreams, goals, and objectives are things that you're moving toward. So whenever you put your intention on that or your love, I blow smoke into mine each day. Smoke meaning the vapor from my tobacco and herbs, but your breath is charged with prana. It actually vitalizes it and charges it with your intention. And when you put loving intention and gratitude into what you have symbolized as your overarching symbol or map or piece of art that encapsulates your dream goals and intentions, then you naturally magnetize yourself to the people, places, and things necessary to fulfill your dream. The mandala becomes a symbol. Now, a symbol is something that connects to something beyond itself. A sign is something that does not go beyond itself. When we pull up to a stop sign, it doesn't mean anything other than step on the brake. It doesn't bring us into any uh, numinous experience. But if it's a symbol, which a mandala is in this regard, then what it's doing is it's connecting you to the people, places, things, and the resources and the opportunities that you are asking spirit to support you with and be clear on what you're giving back as well. So it's not just a sort of a needy request. Dear God, make my pimples go away while I eat garbage, for example. So your mandala is a living symbol that connects you to the attractive force of your dream. If you consider that if God is absolute or God is whole, and I'm speaking of not a God you can know, but the source of all that is, then you could say that we are being drawn toward our fullness in every way. And by creating a piece of art like this or a mandala, when we connect 
to our mandala and hold our intentions and say out our key words and sing them or chant them after we've painted it or created it and affirm them and see ourselves living as that person, then we are effectively using the symbol for what a symbol's for, the transference of energy and awareness. So next is our daily practice of dream affirmation. Write your New Year's dream goals and objectives in words of gratitude and completion, avoiding words like, I want, or I hope, or I wish for, etc. A technique I teach in my PPS Success Mastery Program, which if you're not familiar with, you can go to ppssuccess.com and have a look. Um, I think you find it fascinating. Once you buy a program, then you get access to my bi-weekly coaching calls where you can get my support with life challenges or any of the lessons. Uh, but in that program, I teach the Grand Canyon test, which is a test where you test your dreams or goals. If you say hello to the Grand Canyon, it will say hello, hello, hello back to you. If you say, I want to lose 30 pounds, it will say, I want to lose 30 pounds. I want to lose 30 pounds. I want to lose 30 pounds. And so what you'll end up with is exactly what you've wished for, and that is wanting. I want to lose 30 pounds is really the active verb. If God is unconditional love, then the answer is always yes. Anything else creates a condition. So we must be conscious not to use words that don't symbolize receptivity and completion or wholeness. So using the same example of wanting to lose 30 pounds, a positive Grand Canyon test would would sound like this. Thank you, Great Spirit. I have lost 30 pounds. It is the 1st of September. I look and feel great, and I'm very grateful for your love and support. And the Grand Canyon test would result in you getting exactly that back. So we must learn the power of our own minds and our own words and our own actions and be careful when we're writing our dreams, goals, and objectives for the new year that we're not putting um, words that... um, don't bring us to completion, such as I want or I hope or I wish. Each day, visualize yourself having and experiencing your dreams. Give thanks Give thanks for them in present tense, not thank you, I'll be so happy when the such and such arrives. See yourself living as that person and in that place and time and give thanks as though it's already happened. Fill your heart with gratitude and let it pour into the universe. Live as the person in every possible way each day that you're choosing to be. There's always something you can do to be your dream each day. And putting your love and emotion into being that person sends a message to the universe that says, this is me. Thank you for being this, sharing this, and experiencing this with me and she, i.e. the Divine Mother or Great Mother, begins to move your dream toward you as you move towards it. Thus the Quakers say, pray and move your feet. Pray and move your feet. Don't just say, dear God, take my problems away, take my bills away, make my body beautiful, and then keep doing the same things that got you in trouble. Pray and move your feet means make the request, but do your part. Walter Russell, in his 
excellent teachings, which you can find at www.dowsers.com, D-O-W-S-E-R-S.com, in his one-year study course, which I completed many years ago, shares the one-to-one principle of the universe and says for every step we make towards our dreams, goals, and objectives, the universe moves them one step toward us. For every one unit of energy we put in, it puts one energy in. So we're in a one-to-one relationship with the universe or with wholeness. And to the degree that we do our part, it mirrors us and does its part. Next, we need to look at the word intention. If God is unconditional love, then our dreams, goals, and objectives are our intentions. And since unconditional anything is not polarized, when we state our dream, goal, or objective, we are putting potential into tension. We are directing potential into actuation through the power of our own mind. Thus, the word intention literally means to put spirit into tension. Keep your goals succinct, not too wordy. They should get right to the point. Remember, make sure they pass the Grand Canyon test. And we need to be realistic about setting goals. As I share in PPS Success Mastery Lesson 3, Goal Setting, research and goal setting shows that if we set goals that are more than 50% greater than something we've recently achieved, we're more likely not to achieve the goal because the wiser, more honest part of us knows that we are probably bullshitting ourselves. If you set goals at 50% or less, don't worry, you can always reset the goal halfway through or at any point in the year if you achieve that 50% gain. So there's no problem with that. State aloud and visualize yourself completing your goals each day. Be that person. When you're setting goals, prioritize your goals into three categories, which I teach my students as must-do goals, which are the most important, should do, second most important, and would like to do, which are the least important but may still be important, and avoid putting more than three goals in each column or they're less likely to be completed because you might suffer from overwhelm. So we start with our must-do goals. If we get to the point where we cannot complete any one of those goals then, and we have time, then we move to our should-do list and we do as much as we can there and only then do we move to our would-like-to-do list. I've used that approach for many, many years and it's helped me be very productive and feel good about myself, which is really important because we don't feel good about ourselves. We run the risk of needing others to make us feel good and falling back into the eternal child archetype. If you notice goals are not being completed, then look for the pattern. Look to see what's happening. Find the resistance and transform it. So if it's constant interruptions, then find out why you're getting interrupted and do something about it. If it's you staying up too late at night and being all uh, tired all the time and telling yourself a story about why you can't do it, then you've got a story gap and do what you need to do to transform it or you're living the life of a child and you'll find yourself uh, in a situation where adults get tired of, uh, of having to wipe your bottom and pull your socks up and uh, people don't 
want to um, engage you in meaningful relationships because they want to be with people of like mind and like kind, which is usually um, adults that are productive and uh, have something to share other than constantly needing um, propping up all the time. Well, that's what I came to share with you to kick off your 2020. I am very grateful I got to share with you. I'm very grateful that you are sharing with my with me in the podcast. I'm grateful for all the people you share the podcast with. I have lots of great podcasts lined up to share with you in 2020. Um, I'm excited that you're here with me. We have a lot to do together to heal the planet in 2020 and beyond, um, especially to make it a better place for the children who don't deserve to be brought into a kind of a mess that a lot of us have left behind, but we can clean it up together. We have the technology. Um, we have the awareness. Now it's just time to get busy. So lots of love to you. Happy 2020. And I look forward to sharing more with you each step of the way through Living 4D with Paul Check and the Check Institute and PPS Success Mastery Coaching and my YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com forward slash Paul Check Live. See you soon. Thank you for listening to Living 4D with Paul Check. We wish you a very prosperous, happy, and healthy 2020. You can follow Paul on Instagram and Twitter at Living4D Podcast or on his YouTube podcast channel, youtube.com forward slash Living4D with Paul Check. You can watch more on Paul's blog at paulchecksblog.com and at the Czech Institute's new streaming channel, checkiva.com.